finish chapter 15. Sometimes, guys, when we come to God's Word, um, as you know, there can be a passage of Scripture that feels like just a really big bite. And um, this, these last verses of chapter 15, it's a big bite. And, and, and so we're going to spend some time here this morning. I want to read these verses and, um, to you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll break them down. So in verse 22, is where we left off last week. Um, and in verse 22, it says this. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And remember, there's two million people traveling, approximately. They have all their herds, all their livestock, um, all their possessions. They, they went out, you know, with, with, with everything they had and more. And, and, and so if you think about this in a real thing, they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness, they're traveling for three days, and there's no water. But remember, they're just not wandering aimlessly, nor are they, even though as Moses is reaffirmed here, as it says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Uh, even though it's reaffirmed that Moses is their leader, we know from what we led, read a couple weeks ago and studied is that the people of Israel, the children of Israel right now are being led by God. This encampment only moves when God moves. And it only goes where God takes them. And we know that God leads them at this time and will continue to do so through their whole wilderness experience for years and years and years. By a, by a cloud by a day that, that covered them and hid them from their enemies and offered shade and, and, and that kind of a shelter for them. But also at times they would travel by night. And even when they weren't traveling by night, they were protected by night as they encamped by that cloud that would be reveal or manifest itself as a pillar of fire. And, um, and, and it's important to know that through this process that God is the one that's leading them. And, and it might seem a little contrary to us in our minds when we consider this, but it reveals an important truth that I want to point out even as we begin. And I might go back over this a little bit later on. But, guys, as believers, we're not wandering aimlessly through this life that God's called us to. You know, we, keep, we keep looking at what God's done for the children of Israel and relating it to our lives. And it's, a awesome, awesome, it's an exact example, a perfect example, a picture of what God does for us and has done for us. And last week we looked at even that even more as we looked at the song that they had sung in praise and worship to God, that song of salvation. And we're going to talk about that also. But from the very beginning with Israel's deliverance, it gives us this picture of how God's delivered us out of the world as well, right? And God's delivered us out of the world. And when he's delivered us out, it's, we know that he's also delivered us not from but to He's delivered us from the world, from our sin, from death, but to life, a new life. And, and, and that, that picture that we see with the children of Israel is that it's a life of freedom, a life of freedom from sin, a life of freedom from death, a life to uh, pursue God as we're led by the Holy Spirit, right? Our guide, the Bible says, our comforter, our protector. All these things that the Holy Spirit is, who Jesus said, I'm going away, and it's to your benefit that I'm going away, because I'm, when I leave, I'm sending the Comforter, the Guide, the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And so, as we think about this in relationship to what we read here, we're going to see an interesting thing. And I think it's something that we often forget in our own lives. And, 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 and when we come to this place like the children of Israel, where we find ourselves murmuring and complaining because of the place where we're at, 
we might mistaken, and we need to keep this in our mind, that this is the place where God has led us to, that God's allowed. And, and we don't want to necessarily believe that in times when it's a time of trial, when it's a time of adversity. Because we go, how could God do this? Why would God allow for that? And I'm talking about hard things, guys. Hard things. Not just these types of adversities and trials where we in America might go, well, um, you know what? I, 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 I went to Walmart the other day and they had this thing and I wanted to go back and get some more. Now it's not there. I can't believe them. And that happens all the time, by the way. Um, but that's not a trial. That's not a diversity. I'm not trying to make light of some of the trials and adversities that we do go through. Lots of us have health concerns, physical ailments. Some of us have lost loved ones. And, and, and deep, deep things that cause hurt and pain and suffering and dislike. But, guys, either God's allowed it or he's not on the throne. Either God's allowed it and has led us into it or his Holy Spirit's not with us, leading, in the, leading us and guiding us. And, and, and when, we, when, we, when, we, when we murmur and when we complain in those moments, really what we're doing is, is, is we're murmuring and complaining against God. We may say it's the circumstances. It may say, you know, we, we blame we may, if, it's a, if it's a, the doctor misdiagnosed it. And, and we find all these things and all these, these, these situations where we begin to blame and are murmuring and are complaining. But the truth is, is when we put it in the right perspective that God's the one that's leading us. God's the one that's guiding us. He's sovereign. He's in control. And we have to come to the conclusion that God's the one that's led us. God's the one that's permitted this. God's the one that's brought us into this. Now, I'm not saying that we in our own stupidity can't sin and get ourselves into situations where we're reaping what we've sowed. That's, that's, that's a little bit different. But there, in everyday life, when it's out of your circumstances, out of your control, we have to step back for it. And if you will, rightly assign blame. But not blame in the negative sense where then we, we think that God's done something evil against us. Blame in the sense where we look at it in the right perspective and go, if God's brought this into my life, if he's allowed for this, if he's been the cloud, the Holy Spirit that's permitted it, allowed for me to do it, then he's not only going to see me through it, but he's going to do a good work in the midst of it. Right? And so, so that's how we need to look at this chapter and see how it relates to our lives as we continue on. And so in verse 22, that's all one verse. And we're not even, that's not even, we're going to go back through that verse again. But, it says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, which literally means bitterness, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that, and we may have a sub-note that does that. Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Do you have places like that in your life? Sure we do. We all do. We have these places and times that we look back on and go, man, that was, that was a bitter time. That was a hard thing. But there's a cool picture here that's being painted for us and what God does for us and, and what God calls us to. And it says, in the people, they complained. They got to Marah after three days of travel through the wilderness, having left the the shores of the Red Sea, and, and they get to this place where they finally encounter some water and they can't drink it. And so they complain. And who they complain against? Moses. They complain against Moses saying, and this should ring a, ring a, a, a it, should, it should click, there should be 
something that goes off in your mind when you read this, and it should point you to the words of Jesus when we're going to read it together later on, but they said this, what shall we drink? What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him, Moses did a tree, and he cast it into the water, and the waters were made there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So we begin to see see some purpose or some meaning behind all of this at this point. And, and, and really God taking some ownership of it uh, in the text for us as they were looking and blaming Moses for what had happened. And he said this in verse 26, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. And man, we spent several weeks going through those ten plagues and what that looked like, and that's, that's quite a blessing. That's quite a promise. That's quite an assurance. As they'd seen firsthand everything that had happened, ending, of course, with the final plague, the plague of death. But, the more important part of this, where he says, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, is this last passage, this last part of this verse where God says, For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, God, for the moisture that you've provided. And I'm reminded, um, Lord, even I'm reminded when I see the changing of the seasons and the, and the rain and the sun and the wind and all these things that, that you're a God of order, that you take care of and provide for every one of our needs. And even this moisture that we've needed, Lord, is a blessing, and we thank you for it. And, God, we, in our own lives, come to these dry times, these dry seasons like we see here with the children of Israel. And yet, God, you're in the midst of us. And you're there with us. Not only have you led us, led us into it, Lord, you'll lead us through it, and you'll work good. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here, Lord, who at this moment is really struggling with a trial, with an adversity, with this new life that you've called us to, and, and wondering, Lord, why is it so difficult at times? When our hearts agree, when our when um, the, 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 the thoughts that we have are burdensome and the ones that keep us up at night, when our heart is aching because of the loss or because of the, the disappointment and the discouragement, God, we all know what that's like. But God, I pray that this morning you would help us and those who are struggling with these things, Lord, to get a, a, a biblical perspective from the example that is seen here that will give us hope and courage to continue on. And you remind us, God, and you show us, God, that if we press on, you have something wonderful waiting on this other side. Not only do you make that time of suffering, as Paul says, a counter all joy, that time of suffering a, a blessed thing, um, you have blessings down the road. And I pray, God, that these things that we go through today or that we've gone through in the past, that perhaps we're even hang on, hanging on to, Lord, that, that are hindering us from receiving what you have for us now, the life that you've given us and the full blessing, the full healing that you have for us. I pray, God, that if there's those things in our lives, that we would lay them down at your feet this morning. 
that we would let them go and that you would take them and remove them out of our lives. And Lord, you would heal our hearts and that you would heal our minds. And if there's anyone here who even needs a physical healing, Lord, pray, God, with power and blood in the name of Jesus Christ that you would heal them and do a miraculous work. And you are the Lord who heals. And you heal us completely and holy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, on Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 through 33, it says this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow? Do not labor or spin. Yet they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for? The unbelievers, the pagans, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Now, as we look back to these verses, I wanted I, 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 I wanted to read these words of Jesus before we begin to break down uh, what we've read here this morning. And um, because they remind us that God knows our needs and His desire is to provide for them. Let that sink in. God knows your needs and His desire is to provide for them. But I also want to read these words because the lack of faith that causes us to worry or to have anxiety or to move to fear and, and ultimately say these words, what shall I drink or what shall I eat? And, and of course that can be, that can be reflected or, or, or it can transcend into whatever thing you're going through. God, what am I going to do about this? I don't know. I have no way out. What am I going to do about this? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And this, this, these words of worry that, that came forth that Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 6 really is exactly what the Hebrew people are doing here. What we read in first chapter 15 where they said, what shall we drink? And then when we get to chapter 16 where the Lord gives the Hebrew people manna, it's in response to the same kind of question. What shall we eat? What shall we eat? And that is again found later on next week as we go through chapter 16. And if you were here last week as we read and studied through the first half of this chapter, first 21 verses really, you'll know that this attitude of worry and complaints that the people, the children of Israel, were now demonstrating, it was a big change from the attitude that they had previously demonstrated, was it not? And what we see is within a very short period of time, within three little days, Three short days they had gone from singing, The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. My God, my Father's God and I will exalt Him. And they were praising God 
for saving them from Pharaoh, and they had gone from this place to this place of worry and complaint as they asked, what shall we drink? Yet, they're a bad example, and, and often Scripture is full of bad examples, so what not to do, right? And, and we have this here again. It's, it's like um, they, 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 we have this bad example of, of them wavering in their faith. And in wavering in their faith, they allowed for their circumstances, their situation, to dictate what they thought, to dictate how they felt. And man, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in that place, that's a, that's a, a desperate place to be. Not the circumstances, but when the circumstances control your mind and your heart, the way you think and the way you feel. And they did this in the situation of lack of faith, rather than trusting in God's promise would have been given to provide for them. You know what? And, and, and without a doubt, I think this is something that we can all relate to. Can we not? Now, I want to I wanna quickly move through. Well, I'll just put it this way. I'll take it back. I wanted, I wanted to quickly move through these last 15 verses and be able to jump right into chapter 16 today. But as I studied and prepared for this morning and this week leading up to today, I realized that we probably spent all of our time just going through this account. And that's all right, because in addition to, to this chapter or these verses setting the stage for the what shall we eat part that comes in chapter 16, guys, there are so many important truths here that help us in our own walk of faith. And you're going to see some, and God's going to speak to you through Spirit about some of these things that are going to help you and assist you in your own walk of faith that I'm not going to bring forth this morning. So listen and hear to those things as well. But there are some that I, that I want to bring out specifically that, that seem to maybe be on the surface and we can just pick right up off the ground. And I hope as we pick them up that God will, will give you insight into other things as it applies to your own life. But but the first thing that I want to point out, an important truth that helps us in our own walk of faith, as is exampled in this text, is that while we are on this journey of faith, we've talked about it, right? We're on a journey of faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. This is the life that God's called us into, the life that he's delivered us to, delivered us from, and delivered us to. But while we're on this, this walk of faith, while we continue to do it, Here's, here's, here's the, the, the first thing we need to know. We should expect trials, and we should expect that they're going to continue to come. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon said something, and I want to try to, I want to, try to get this out. And, and those old preachers wrote in such a way that it's, it's sometimes hard to articulate the thought that they wrote. But he, he began to talk about this in relationship to this, this idea of experiencing trials and, and expecting trials and knowing that they're still going to come even after this in this life of Christ. What he said is he said, this can be kind of a shocking thing for us because when we come to these, these trials and these places of adversity and this life in Christ, what happens is, is there's a, a, we, we can be offended or we can be injured. We, we feel... A, a hurt, a, a grief as a result of that. And that can be such a foreign thing to us because the life before Christ, and the Bible talks about it, that the, the, the sin that we in was we were in brought the sinful life that we used to live. And, and even when we go back to it, in this side of eternity, of course, and, and, and not always, sometimes we reap some of the consequences um, before we get to the other side if we're not in Christ. But what he says is, he says, and I love this thought, is, is that, 
those things brought forth feelings of pleasure. For a season, for a time. And so it's a foreign thing for us to come to this life in Christ and now go through a trial or a tribulation where in our heart we can be injured. And we go, how, how does that work? Over here I had pleasure, and over here there's some suffering. But we lose sight of some specific things in, in, in the midst of that. But one of the reasons that it can be torn to us is because, because we don't think it should be like this. We think, well, if that life was pleasurable without, you know, and we all know the word, there was a lot of unpleasure in that as well. I'm not saying that it was all like that, and neither was Charles Spurgeon. But, but what he's talking about is we come to this life in Christ, and we think that it's just going to be, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be, and it is awesome, but where there's no suffering, where there's no pain, where there's joy forevermore. And that is what is laid, laid up for us, but in the meantime, Living in this world and not being of this world and being a light comes with trial and tribulation. Not only that, there's a lot of things that God's still doing inside of us that's working, that's doing this perfect work that, that God desires to do. And we refer to it as this process of sanctification where God's still pulling the world out of us. Right? Putting that old man to death. And so... The truth is, as we read on here and see the children of Israel on this faith journey, still encountering trials, is we should expect for trials to continue to come. And that is a truth that will help us in our own walk of faith. In fact, it was the 18th century Scottish preacher, Andrew Bonner, you may have heard of him, who said this in regards to trials and, and, and the tribulations and the adversities and the battles that we continue to face as we walk in this new life the Lord called us to, and he said this, he said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. And the tendency is, is we go through one of these things, and we think that we've, you know, we've been set free from sin and from death, and we travel and we walk with the Lord, and, and we even we even struggle and, and find an adversity and trial, and we have victory over that, and we go forward, and what happens? There's another one. And, and, and so we need to be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. We can't let our sword down. We can't set our shield on the ground. We're walking through this life girded in the full armor of God. Praying continuously, the Bible says. And that's the mindset to say. And I think it's safe to say that with the Egyptian army, think about this in relationship to what's going on here, with the Egyptian army now lying dead on the shores of the Red Sea, that the children of Israel probably thought that the rest of their journey was going to be a smooth one, right? No way Pharaoh was going to come to get them. That was the only life that they had known up to that time. And now their enemy was dead. And they had left them behind. And they were going to where? The promised land. And we even see when they get to the promised land that they fail to enter in because why? What was in there? Giants. And the Lord assured me, don't worry. The battle's already won. And that's what we have to remember in the trial and the adversity that God leads us into. The battle's already won. It's our job just to continue to walk by faith. And so let us be as watchful after the victories that we have as, 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 if, we, as, as if it was the same as we were before. And I think it's safe to say that 
that, that, that the children of Israel were caught off guard here. They thought that the rest of the journey would be a smooth one. But, but it was only, we see, a matter of days, literally three days, before they faced this new trial. And in verse 22, it tells us that as they left the Red Sea, they traveled to the wilderness for three days, and in doing so, they found no water. In other words, because it had been three days, and because they had found no water to drink, their water supplies were running out, is what the, the, you want to read between the lines. That's what, what's going on. Their water supplies were running out, and you know, it may have even been, been depleted by this time. You can't pack that much water for yourself, for your family, for your cows, for your sheep. For, for, you can't do that. It's not physically possible. And so when they came to Ma'ara, where they finally found some water, I suspect that their first response was relief. Woohoo! God led us to water! But this water, as we read here, was what? It was bitter. It was so bitter that they couldn't drink it. They couldn't consume it. And, and, and what was their response? Disappointment. Nobody here knows about disappointment, do you? I mean, there was disappointment. And then worry. And then complaint. Complaint against Moses. In the light of this, I want to point out that it's possible to win the battle and yet to lose the victory. Bouncing off what Andrew Bonner said. It, it, it's possible to, lose, to win a battle and yet lose the victory. Have you, had, have you ever had experience with that? Meaning we can lose, really, what comes with the victory? What were these people on the shores of the Red Sea doing? They were celebrating. They were rejoicing. They were full of joy and hopeful expectation of what was coming next. And that's how they left following the Lord, their Savior. Their joy, their strength, all these things that they put forth in that song of praise. But they encounter an adversity. And it's possible to win the battle, but to lose the victory. Meaning we can lose the joy, and we can lose the hope that a victory brings when? When we lose faith. When we lose faith during the next trial or the adversity that we are and will face. And in doing so, we allow for the worry, we allow for the fear to rob us of the joys that we once felt, and, and, and discouragement and defeat quickly take hold of us. It replaces it. And, 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 and we can see that this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel as they left the Red Sea, having been victorious in the battle that God had won for them, but, but they quickly lost every ounce of joy, any ounce of hope they had received, and now they were dealing with these feelings of defeat as they faced this new trial while making their way to Mount Sinai, to the Promised Land. And it's obvious that the Hebrew people were learning that a life of faith is one of fighting new battles. A life of faith is one of fighting battles, new battles. And, and because in fighting battles and fighting new battles, we are learning new lessons. And one great victory does not settle everything in this life of freedom that we've been given to live. I wish it did, but it don't. And for some of us, like me, it's going to take many, many, many more to come. Why? Because God's working on me. 
And we need these kinds of experiences, these new trials, these adversities, these battles, and these new trials that challenge us, that refine us, in order to help us grow spiritually, to mature spiritually. But more importantly, what happens in the trial, what happens in the adversity as you go through this is the same thing that the children of Israel have discovered and are discovering and did discovering. And it was the, God said over and over again, I'm, do, I'm doing these things so that you may know who I am. Right? And, and that's, what God, that's what God does for us too. Is that in the challenge and in the trial, in the adversity, not only are we being refined to grow in spiritual maturity, but we're, we're growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. And this is what we're reminded of in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which says this, Consider it pure joy. I love this translation because I like the way that verse starts off. You know, in New King James it says, Count it all joy. This says consider it Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The motive behind why God does what He does in those moments, why He leads us into these places. And even though God had been the one to lead his people with the cloud by day and the fire by night on this route, we see that there was no water for three days. So what does that tell you? Is that God brought them to the place where they were in need of water. So they thought. God was really bringing them to the place where they understood that they had an ongoing need for him. For him. And in doing so, it says, then he led them to the place where there was bad water that, not, that could not be consumed in order to test and to refine their faith. So that he could reveal another aspect of who he was and who he is to them. And the fact of the matter is the Hebrew people were in need. And so in complaining against Moses, if it was his fault for the situation that they were now in, we see that Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And in verse 25, the Lord answered by showing Moses a tree. I don't know about you, if it had been me, I'd have been like, really? A tree? We need water here. A tree? A tree. And he said, he said, obviously he said, cut it down. But he said, cast that tree into the water and it will be made sweet. And I have to say that this is one of the more unusual ways found in Scripture for which God has done a miraculous thing. And there's a lot of others like this, but this is one of them. And there are some who would suggest that this was not a miracle, that there was something within the tree itself, like a chemical, or it would release an antidote and change the water, and therefore God was simply just conveying knowledge to Moses and, and when he told him to cast it into the water. And at the very least, he was conveying knowledge to Moses. But when we consider these events in the context, which is so important, one of the reasons I love teaching through God's Word verse by verse, when we consider these things in, in context, especially in context of what happens in verse 16, when, or in chapter 16, where they begin to go, what are we going to eat? And we see in there that God does supernaturally does something to give them bread for heaven. We should conclude that the changing of this water was also a supernatural thing. 
it follows the contextual flow of what God was doing. And it, it just makes sense in that way. And God's a God of reason. He's a God of sense. Furthermore, when we look at, at this through the lens of it being a supernatural occurrence, several things come to light for us. They come to light. There's light here for us to see. For example, we see that this tree is a picture of God's foreknowledge. And, and I don't want to oversimplify something, but think about it like this. The tree is a picture of God's foreknowledge, considering this tree, was, which was the remedy and part of God's plan for this moment in time, had to have been growing there long before the children of Israel arrived there. And I love that when I begin to think about this relates to my own life and God's provision and the remedies that God has for me in my times of adversity, in my times of need. God has foreknowledge. He just doesn't lead me into the situation and go, oh, now what am I going to do? God has a plan for our lives, a perfect plan for our lives. And God had planted that tree there and had nurtured it and it had grown for such a time as this. However, the remedy, which had been there for a long time, before the children of Israel had even reached Marah, it was not made known to them until Moses prayed. It wasn't like Moses said, oh yes, there's a tree here by this bitter water, I know what to do. He didn't have a clue. He did the right thing, crying out to God, but he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what the remedy was. It was not made known to him. This is the key until Moses prayed. And then, and guys, this should remind us that when we have a need, we're not going to know what the remedy is until we pray. We may think we know, but we don't. We are not going to know what the remedy is until we pray. And even if it's standing at times right before us, has that ever happened to you? Ever been in that situation where you're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. How am I going to do? I don't don't know. And you pray and God goes, hey, the, the tree. And you're like, it's been there the whole time. And and I'm talking, of course, figuratively, but there's been so many times in my life like that where I've been so worked up, so consumed by my fear and my anxiety, and I don't even see the provision that God's already made before me until I bring my inner self before the Lord and go, God, what am I going to do? And He's going to go, He opens up your eyes, He opens up your mind, He sets you free in your heart to see that He's already provided for you, for the time, for the need, for the trial, for the adversity. God has already provided for what we need. We just need to pray to be able to see it. And then we need to be able to have the faith to be able to receive it. I don't know about you, but how many of you have been like, yeah, right, I'm going to cut the tree down, I'm going to throw it in here, and we're just going to be able to to drink it. And, 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 you know, sometimes we do that. God has it right before us. He says, this is what it is, go do this. And we're like, certainly there's got to be another way. And when we we go, I have to be completely honest. I I this is so painful to go through these things and study this stuff out. It's it's my fault that Justin and Lori's family is sick. I'm telling you that right now. Here's the reason why is because God knows that I have this these same kind of things in my own life. I'm just gonna say it, you know. So Justin called me and and um, he's all he had asked somebody else if he could. He said, I got to ask somebody to do worship again. I'm like I understand. He's I'm taking my wife to the doctor, and, and so I'm sitting there on Saturday morning going, Lord, we're going to have no worship. What did I do? I, I called you, Brandon, didn't I? And we tried to formulate 
our own plan. He had asked somebody, and they said, I can't do it. Um, he had reached out to Jan, and, and he, I think he actually reached out to you as well, Seth, and, and he hadn't heard anything back. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like going through this scripture, through this passage, and it's just like, God's just telling me, pray, there's a tree. There's, and, and it's Jan. Jan's my tree. But And not that I'm trying to figure it out on my own. I'm sitting there praying, okay, God, I got it. But what do I do? I, I go into Sean fix-it mode. I call Brandon. I'm like, hey, Brandon, we're not going to do this, but just in case God doesn't come through. You know? And, I, and I'm, I'm experiencing all these things. And that's, that's, a, that's a small thing compared to the struggle of the reality of this life that we live. That's a small thing, but it's an example. But even in the small things, it's a hard issue. And, and, and God's got the provision. But we have to have the faith to receive it. You know? And I'm sitting there, and it's not that I wasn't receiving Jan when, when Jan said, when he said Jan's got it. It was like I was unwilling to receive the peace and the comfort that the joy would bring just going, God's got it. And I kept going back there and telling myself in my mind. I mean, it's a process, right? It's a journey. God's got it. It's going to be okay. Brandon. And I come back, okay, God's God, it's going to be okay. It's no big deal. If we have to do this other thing, it's God's ministry. You tell yourself, it's, it's, and I'm like, God, it's, 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 I'm like, Moses, these are your people. You know? You're going to take, you're going to provide. And, and we do this, and we, we see these needs, and we want to try to take care of them all. But you guys, sadly, like I'm talking about, we don't always cry out to God in our time of need, do we? We don't always cry out to Him until, until after we've tried with no success to take care of the need on our own. You know what happens? And whenever I do this, or whenever we do this, how about you? I am making a bigger mess of the problem for myself and for others around me in the process. Fortunately, Moses, he didn't do this. People came to him. Later on, they're going to come to him again, and he's going to be finally, well, it's not my fault. You know? This is what God's provided. This is where God's taken us. And it's good, and it's fine. Moses, he, he, he gives us a great picture. He he didn't do it. He just acted. He didn't act on his own. He acted in faith. He went right to God. And it says he cried out for help. And as soon as he prayed, God made the remedy known. Now, I can't promise to you, because I know that God doesn't always do that for me. He doesn't always immediately answer my prayer request and go, hey, it's a tree. Sometimes he leads us in that place of waiting upon him and crying out to him to continue and to amplify, if you will, and there's an amplification process that takes place in that time of waiting to amplify that refining process. And where he, he really draws out from the deep parts of our heart. He's like, okay, you, you've got it here, but we're going to wait. And, and as we wait, it's like this descending elevator into my heart, into my mind, where God goes, we're going to take it to people a level deeper and a level deeper. And as the days, as the, as the day one goes by, day two goes by, you know, day three goes by, and, 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 and then finally... God gives the answer, and, and he makes the path known, and he, he, he turns the, the, the bitter thing into sweet. It, it, it's awesome every time. God, God does that. You know, I love that passage of Scripture, and it's a reminder, this too shall pass, right? Over and, or, and it came to pass over and over again. And the things that you guys were struggling with a year ago, you're no longer struggling with. It may still be a part of your life. But it doesn't control you like the way it's controlled you when you've exercised faith because God brings the sweetness into the situation. And if you are still struggling with something that happened a year ago and, you, and, and you're still in the midst of the trial, 
You can still be in the midst of this trial, guys, and not have the fear, not have the worry, not have the discouragement, not have the defeat. You can have the, the feeling of victory. This is what we're being told. If we just lay it down before the Lord and trust that He's led us here, that He's doing a work here, and He's bringing us through it, bringing us through it. The faith to receive it. But we don't always cry out to God, do we? And then Moses, as I said, he acted in faith. As soon as God made the remedy known by cutting down the tree and tossing it into the waters, then he's willing to do something I think that probably everybody else around him seemed like it was a foolish thing to do. As a matter of fact, in my mind, I see the situation and I see him, Moses, and, and this is just how I think. Moses would be like, hey, God told me what we're going to do. We're going to cut this tree down here and we're going to throw it in the water. And that water that was unable to be drank, drunk, we're now going to be able to drink it as soon as I toss that tree in there and there. And so Moses tosses in and he's probably like, okay, guys, get your water. And I picture everybody standing around him going, you go first. You know, that, that kind of a thing. That's how my mind thinks. Because there's times like that where, where God gives us the answer. He gives us the remedy and it doesn't seem logical according to our way because God's ways are higher above our ways. But yet, we not only cry out to God, we have the faith to receive it. We have to have the faith to put our hand down and, and partake of what God's given us. And believing that He's made the bitter thing into a sweet thing. Now, when we consider God used the tree to sweeten the water, guys, there's some additional application here. It should cause us to wonder, at least it causes me to wonder, why a tree? Because there's nothing in the scripture that's here by coincidence. It's not. Why a tree? And I, there's, there's two reasons that come to my mind. I'm sure there's more, and there's probably people who are way, um, way more in tune with scripture than I am that has, has some good things. But this is what I've come up with. And, and this is true in regards to everything. When you don't understand something in Scripture, in the Old Testament, what you do is you take Jesus and you insert him. He's the key. And so we want to insert Jesus into the situation and go, how does this play out? What does this really look like? I mean, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you, you search the Scriptures for life, but you don't know. They are all about me. They all point to me. Everything. And so if you're struggling with some part of Scripture in your own study time in the Old Testament, you know, put Jesus in and see if that fits. And it does here. And, and, and so the first reason, I think, for why God used the tree here is because it points us to Jesus, our Savior, remember, who has also given us this new life in Him. We've been talking about this. Because when Scripture, guys, prophesied about whom the Messiah would be and where He would come from, and I want to point this out, you just can't insert Jesus and come to your own conclusions. We have the Word of God to still guide us. I'm, not, I'm never going to go, well, we'll insert Jesus, and I think this is what it means. You know, I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to give you what the Word of God says. And the Word of God, alongside the truth about Jesus Christ, unlocks things that might not be right on the surface for us to pick up. And you've got to do that, too. If, it's, if you're inserting Jesus in your thought contradicts what God's Word says, then, then you're off. But if you insert Jesus and you go to Scripture... That, that confirms and, and, and um, examples that, then, then you're on the right track. And, and so what I mean by that is when we consider the Messiah and, and, and what, what the Old Testament Scriptures tell us about who he would be and where he could come from, in Isaiah chapter 11 it says this, verse 1. It says, And a shoot, a sprout, a sprig, will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots 
a branch will bear fruit. Now, a branch is on a tree, right? And so, and, and a tree that bears fruit is a tree that has grown into something. It's not, it's a sprout that's grown into something. And so, even though it doesn't lay that out in the text with all that kind of detail, it's, it's, it's just, it reasons that you're going to be able to understand what's going on here. And in the New Testament, this prophecy about, prophecy about the Messiah being like a shoot that would spring forth from Jesse and become a tree with branches that would bear fruit is referenced two specific times in the New Testament. Once in Romans chapter 15, and then again in the book of Revelation chapter 5. And in each of these passages, what you see in the common theme in all three of these passages is what you see is there's rejoicing. There's rejoicing. And, 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 and rejoicing is accounted as the Messiah and the fruit of redemption, it says, that he brings, has, has made what was once bitter into something sweet. That's the context of all three of those passages. And so when you begin to put this into the context of what we're reading here, the fact of the matter is, is that we see, obviously, that this life without Jesus is bitter. The life without Jesus is a bitter life. But when we cast Jesus, a tree that sprouted up out of Jesse, and when then cut down, when we cast him into our daily lives, into the trials and the adversities that we have faced, then we too can experience what the children of Israel experienced, in that what was bitter will be made sweet. In other words, Jesus is the antidote, right? Jesus is the remedy, a remedy for all the bitterness that comes into our lives, that comes upon us. And in addition to being a picture that points us to Jesus, points us forward to Jesus from this point, this tree that God used to change the bitter waters of Marah into sweet, it also points us back. Here's the second thing that I see here, because it points us back to another tree, a tree in the Garden of Eden when there was what the Bible tells us, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you guys know the story. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve ate from that tree in rebellion to God. God had forbid it, and they rebelled against God, and they ate from that tree. And we know that God had warned Adam and Eve not to eat from this tree and told them this, that on that day that death would enter in. Bitterness would enter in. Sorrow would enter in. Sin would enter in. Consequently, ever since then, this world that God had at one time created in a state of perfectness, right, has been corrupted. It's been corrupted by sin, making what once was sweet into something that is now bitter. However, when we consider God's plan of salvation... And the future life that the Bible says is waiting for us, we need to consider another tree that was also in the Garden of Eden at that time alongside the the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it was the tree of life. A tree that was lost to mankind after the fall. Remember? God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, and he put the angels there to guard it, the tree of life. And we need to consider this tree because in Revelation chapter 22, guys, this is an awesome thing. 
In Revelation chapter 22, we're told that this very same tree, this tree of life, will be given back to mankind. The very tree, the tree of life that was once lost, will be given back to us. And it will be present, it says, in the new Jerusalem that God creates for us. And the very leaves of this tree, it says, will bring healing to the nations, a healing to God's creation. And in doing so, it says, there will no longer be the curse. And in doing so, all the bitterness that has come into God's perfect world when man first rebelled against God will be no more. And in doing so, God will make everything sweet forevermore. And we're waiting for that day, and we're looking for that time when there will be no more sin, when there will be no more death, where there will be joy forevermore. But guys, we can experience a little bit of that future heaven, if you will, that future time that's waiting for us here and now in the life that God's called us to to live right now. Even though there's trials, even though there's still adversity, even though there's still sin and corruption and the fall of mankind. And we do that through our relationship with Jesus Christ, the tree that was cut down, and we insert Him into whatever trial, whatever adversity, whatever discouragement, whatever fear, whatever worry that we're going through. And He changes the bitter. Now, as you look back to chapter 15, we should take notice that in addition to giving His people sweet water to drink at Marah, verse 25 tells us that God also made this statute and an ordinance with them, saying, which, which called them to, to in order such as they were, to follow. And in doing so, he, he gave them that command in verse 26. Um, he gave them something really much sweeter than the water to drink. And think about this in regards to our own adversities and our own trials. Something greater than just sweetness for bitterness. Okay? Something sweeter that God even gives to us that he was calling his people to. And he gave them a promise, and he said this, if his people were to listen to him and keep all of his commands, then none of the diseases, none of the plagues that had struck Egypt with would be put on them. In light of this, I need to point out that even when Israel reached Mount Sinai, when God would establish that Mosaic covenant with them, the one where he would give them his law, the ones that they were to follow, he reaffirmed, he reaffirmed the fact there that, that, that they were his people and he was their God. But in doing so, God attached with the law these blessings and these curses, right? We know about them. And Moses will, will read them to the children of Israel after they get to the, promise, to the borders of the promised land. Blessings and curses to his commands. And he says this over and over and over again in the midst of the law. He says, keep these commands today so that it might go well with you. So that it might go well with you. But he also said in regards to the curses that if they didn't, then there was going to be consequences. And, and, and he would cause them to literally reap the fruits of the seeds of rebellion that they would sow. And in light of this, I want to point out that the, the biblical principle of reaping what we sow is still applicable for our lives today. As we know that it also transcends to many places in the New Testament. Um, one of which is within uh, the, the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. But I love Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture that kind of reiterates the same train of thought. Where it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not, in all, lean not on your own understanding. But, but, but it, acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll make your path straight. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. 
Why? Because this will bring health to your body and a nourishment to your bones. However, guys, all these things are true, and it's still have applications for our own lives as we see this. But the thing that we need to see here is this. This is what this is all about. God really paints the contrast to come to this point because we need to see that the focus of the promise that God had made to his people is not on affliction. The focus is on healing. And the fact of the matter is, is God is letting his people know that he would rather heal them than inflict them with a disease as he did with the Egyptians. And this is reaffirmed by the fact that God ultimately, at the end of verse 26, he reintroduced himself to his people. Up to this point, we talked about that last week as we read through the song of salvation, is that nine times it's the word Yahweh, 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 which is the name that God gave to Moses in the wilderness. I am who I am. The all-sufficient one. That's the only way that they knew God up to this point. This is, this is that same word Yahweh transcends to the word Jehovah. It's our English conversion to it. And, and, and now God, for the very first time, says that I'm Yahweh or Jehovah. There's, there's an additional aspect of him that he's making known to him, that he's the God who heals. He says, I am literally Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, saying I am the Lord who heals. This is how he reintroduces him to his people at this point. And the healing that God can and still does bring to his people is in body by preserving them from disease and curing them from disease, but also in soul, as it is for us as well, by the forgiveness of our sins. The God who heals. Yeah, if you want to come up, I've got to end with this. As we end this morning and bring this chapter to a close, there's one last aspect of this account for us to take note of. And man, like I said, each one of these verses together are just a, a really big bite. There's so much stuff here. And as we bring this chapter to, chapter to close, there's one aspect of the account that I want us to take note of. And it's in verse 27. Because verse 27 tells us that the Israelites is that, is that as they pressed on in their new life of faith and in the journey of trusting in and following after God, it tells us that they found an abundance of water at Elam a place where there was 12 wells and 70 palm trees. And guys, this is such a cool example, a cool thing for us to see in, in regards to application of our own life. Because here at Elam, really a place of refreshment, it says this. What did they do there in verse 27? They set up camp. God doesn't want us to camp in the affliction, even if it's been turned to a smooth thing. Don't camp there. Don't camp at Marah, camp at Elam, a place of refreshment. The point is, guys, the trials and afflictions are going to come. And, and, and God will even be the one to take us to these places at times when things are bitter. But even after we learn how to insert Jesus and allow for the bitter to be made sweet, guys, we must be willing to continue on. We must be willing to move forward, to press forward and follow after God. We can't set up camp at Marah. And this is a good reminder, guys, because many believers do set up camp at Marah, at the places of bitterness. And we do so really in our hearts and in our minds by holding on to those past hurts 
or those past feelings or and sufferings that that we we experience, rather than letting God, Jehovah Rapha, heal us. And we stay in that place, and when we stay at that place, you know what we do? We go, you are the God who afflicts us. And that's also another name of the Lord, by the way. But the affliction is always for a healing. What do you want to say? You want to be bitter? Or do you want to be healed? To the place of refreshment. I'm going to close with this. The words of the Apostle Paul, by way of reminder, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained, not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of what Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Father, I pray that would be our response, that we would continue to move forward in this journey, in this life that you've called us to. That we'd be set free from the, 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 the hurts and the pains, from the past sufferings and trials and adversities that we've gone through, that, Lord, that hold us in bondage and keep us from that place of healing that you have for us, from that place of refreshment that you have for us, Lord. And we know, Lord, that even in the midst of that victory, there'll be other trials and adversities to come. But, God, that we might process through those things and and be continually refreshed and continually renewed in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, so that we're not trapped or enslaved. God, I I know that so many of us as believers, Lord, um, believe that we've been set free and the prison doors have been thrown open through the blood and sacrifice of of Jesus Christ. But in so many areas in our hearts and minds, we're still sitting in the, in, the, in the prison cell, even though the doors are open. And I pray, God, if someone's struggling with that this morning, past hurts, past discouragement, past failures, uh, unforgiveness, any of these things, Lord, that hold us captive to, 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 to our past and not to receive the, 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 the in-the-moment healing that you have for us, I pray, God, that you would set them free today in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would strengthen them to cast it at your feet and to move forward to whatever you have next. That we would have the, 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 the faith and the trust in you, Lord, to go forward to wherever you take us, knowing and trusting and believing that it's good, that you got good for us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.